1 to 10. Uh, you'll find it in some of the Bibles on 1, 2, 2, 5, so chapter 2. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of a sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kingdom to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Chris, for reading God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray you minister to our hearts today, Lord, that your spirit will do a wonderful work of grace in each of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, what a joy this morning to hear the testimony of Josephine. We saw before our very eyes this morning a wonderful work of grace. God's abundant grace and goodness to draw a person like Josephine to bring her to faith in Christ as a teenager and bring her here to this country and then continue to lead her in his ways. That is grace. I think we have a sermon there, don't we? Uh, in, in, in the lives of people. Well, this morning, well, I want to speak to you on the topic of uh, by grace and not works. It's a very important subject and we trust that by God's grace uh, we will understand it as well. Well, this morning, friends, we continue our series on Ephesians, and we'll look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 5b to, uh, to verse 10, which is our text. See, now Paul goes on to explain the repositioning of God's people with one word, grace. Grace. If you look at chapter 2, you have noticed that God, that, that God in his grace called a people unto himself, showed them mercy, and made them his people. And this morning as we look at our text, we want to look at three areas. The way we are saved, the way we are not saved, and the way we should live. Okay, so three things. The way we are saved, the way we are not saved, and the way that we should live. The way we are saved. In chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
Well, friends, let's just for a moment look at this word saved. What does it mean to be saved? What does it actually mean to be saved? And what are we saved from? To save someone means to rescue a person. I'm sure most of you enjoy going to the beach. I'm not a very strong swimmer. And I'm very comfortable to swim in between the flags. You know why? Well, one, it's safe. Secondly, I know that just in case, just in case, I'm in trouble. I know that the rescue team is there to come and rescue this guy who is not a very strong swimmer. It's always comforting to know, right? That there are the rescue guys there just in, the, in case you need to be saved and rescued. And I, I don't go too much deep into the water. I just watch my children from a distance and I panic. When they go too far, I say, come back, come back. They think it's pretty embarrassing for them. Father standing there and shouting, come back. But it's always safe to know that you have the rescue crew there just in case you need to be saved. Recently, we were overjoyed when Luke Shambrook, the young autistic boy, was saved after being lost for four days. Four nights, this autistic boy was all by himself. Four cold nights, lost in the rugged bushland in Lake Eldon. And what a moment it was when the helicopter spotted this young boy. And the joy of the rescue team to see that this young boy was alive and well. You saw that? Did you see that on the TV? What a moment of joy it was for us. I don't know this boy. We don't know this family. But we were all part of that whole process. Praying and looking forward to for some good news. To see this young boy found. And when, when that helicopter pilot saw this boy. And that news item came out. And we saw it and said, wow. We just praise God. And uh, the Easter caption. And it was on Easter Sunday, wasn't it? And the caption on the TV news was, he's alive. Easter Sunday, you see. That was a real rescue mission. What a celebration. He was saved. Now Paul in our text here speaks about being saved. The question for us this morning is, what is it that we've been saved from? What has God saved us from? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 begins with the Christians of Ephesus uh, being reminded of their past lives. And Paul includes himself and all other Christians with them. We see that... Let me get the next slide, please. We see that, okay. So we were dead in our transgressions and sins, living and walking in the ways of this world, following the ruler of this world, Satan, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. By nature, we were deserving wrath. Think about that. But three verses later, we find these same people changed and seated with God in the very court of heaven. How could that be? And we saw last week the transition that God brought about in their lives when I titled that message with two words. I don't think you remember it, but anyone. Do you remember the words? Two words was the title of the sermon. But God, wow! Let's give you some chocolate still. You see? But God did it. God changed. God intervened and transformed these people from being lost to be found. God intervened. Our God is the God of mercy. Human beings may not offer mercy. 
human beings may not accept a plea for mercy. No matter what, no matter how much we may cry for mercy, human beings perhaps may not give mercy. But our God offers it to anyone who turns to him in repentance and who is truly for, sorry for their sins. Did you see that? What an amazing God we have. I was saying to Rose this past week, looking at this whole issue of mercy and the plea and the cry for mercy. And I said to her, what a joy it is to know that the God of heaven, who could clearly send us to eternal damnation, offers mercy. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. The God who can send us to eternal hell. To anyone who cries to him for mercy, gives him or her mercy. And so, all of this, friends, is summed up in the statement here in 5b, Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll touch on that further as we go along. In 5b, we read these words. Transgressions and sins, it is by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. God intervened. Because of his grace. And I will come to this word grace in a moment. God intervened by raising them and us from spiritual death. And look at verses 6 and 7 with me in your Bibles please. And raised us up with him. And what else did he do? He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's a Packed. It's a packed statement there. It really is a packed. It's a packed statement that we see in, in, in that passage. That God has raised us up. Look at, uh, look at the text. We were dead in our trespasses. God made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What is Paul emphasizing here, friends? If you look at the passage. By grace you have been saved into this very presence of God. God made us alive and raised us up. Why did he do that? Because being raised from the dead spiritually, we have been also raised to the heavenly realms. God made us alive in Christ, raised us up with Christ and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places. Think about that. Now you might say to me this morning, Chris, that's, that's not true. I, I'm here on earth, aren't we? How can I be in the heavenlies? I'm here, I'm sitting right now in this church, right here at St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church in Sarah Hills. What does it mean to be raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenlies? This doesn't make sense to me. Quite understandable. <laughs> but friends, when you look at the passage, you see a mystery of God's wonderful grace. Somehow, we have the heaven to earth connection. Remember that? The heaven to earth connection. And that is that as we are made alive in Christ through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God confirms us to be children of God, and somehow in this amazing work, we have been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And yes, it is not, we are not yet there fully, but one day we will be with Him. Did you see that? We will be with Him, but we are already there as well. 
And God has raised us up. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Though we are not there yet physically, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in the heavenlies because of our union with Christ. We have this mystery of the heaven to earth connection. So spiritually, you and I are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. Notice the purpose of this, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the measurable riches again of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God will show in the coming ages how wonderful and glorious this will be. And we trust him for that. All of this because of his grace. And now the question is, what is grace? Grace is not something that we merit. Grace is, God's grace is unmerited. Grace is the unmerited favor of God given to the undeserved. Alright, I'll say that again. Grace is the unmerited favor of God given to the undeserved. A.W. Tozer expanded on that when he said, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Do we deserve anything from God? <laughs> we, we deserve absolutely nothing. We deserve his justice. We deserve his wrath. Because we have turned our backs on God. We have said no to him. We are enemies of him, in fact. But God, because of his grace, because of his good pleasure, inclines to bestow benefits on the undeserving, you and myself. Grace is unmerited. One writer puts it this way. It is a lavish, sumptuous, joyful word. Grace is God's sovereign initiative towards us sinners in his son Jesus. Grace is the language of God. Grace is the language of Christianity. Don't you think so? Christianity is about grace. Paul mentions grace three times in this section to make the point. 2.5, Grace, grace, grace. What a blessing that is. Well, we can take that slide off, actually. That's fine. <laughs> Go to the next one. Okay, so, uh, uh, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Paul says, by, by, by grace you have been saved. What have you been saved from? From being dead in transgressions and sins? From living and walking in the ways of this world? From following the ruler of the world? From gratifying the cravings of the flesh? From the wrath of God. This is grace. And Paul says you have been saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Through faith. Friends, faith is believing. Faith is trusting. Faith is not just knowing about uh, the things of God. Faith is actually taking that step and saying, I am acknowledging you in my life. Every day you and I exercise faith, don't we? 
We do all the time. Right? You go on to put your light switch when you get up in the morning. You exercise faith, you put the switch on, you expect... You get into your car, you're exercising faith that the moment you put the key there and you turn it around, that this thing is going to crank up and it's going to go. You and I exercise faith by coming into this building. We trust that the trestles here and everything (laughs) is strong and it's going to hold its weight and we are safe here. We exercise faith all the time. But what we see here is faith from a different perspective. It is saving faith. It is faith that acknowledges that I am putting my trust and my confidence and everything in a person, Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here, through faith. The instrumentality is faith. Faith is only effectual if knowing about and acknowledging the claims of Jesus where one personally trusts in him alone for salvation. We read uh, in uh, our first Bible reading, Romans chapter 4. And look at that, it's on, it's on uh, the thing as well, 4 and 5. Now to the one who works wages, who, sorry, and to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as, unright- as, as righteousness. So when you go to work, right, tomorrow, if you're working, you get your paycheck at the end of the week, your employer is obliged to pay you, right? <laughs> He's obliged to pay you. You, you, you have earned it. <laughs> it is your right. He has to give it to you. <laughs> he has no other obligation but to pay you. But look at what verse, verse 5 said. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So you, you haven't done a thing, but God credits to you his Righteousness, you have not worked for it. He gives to you freely. It is faith in Jesus that makes us right with God. And notice it is a gift. How many of us enjoy receiving gifts? Uh, I mean, I I wore a check shirt this morning and someone else had a check shirt on as well. And they said, no, it's it's a day for checks. Right? It's a day for checks, Chris. By that they meant it was also, I said, well, that would be great if there's a check written for me. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? The day of checks. And someone else said to me, well, you want a check shirt? We will check on you today. <laughs> All kinds of things people say to me, you see. The point is, <laughs> we, will, we will keep a check on you. That's what they said. We'll keep a check on you because you want a check shirt. The point is, friends, a gift. We all enjoy receiving gifts, don't we? Who would want to turn a gift away? When you get a gift in the mail, what do you do? You're excited about it. You receive it, I hope. And look at what God's word is saying. That God's grace and his faith is God's gift to us. That he freely lavishes upon us. And he says, here's the gift. Receive it. It is given to you. What a blessing. Now that's how we are saved. How, now the thing is, how we are not saved. Look at verse 9. We are not saved as a result of works, so that no one may boast. What do you think of that? The way we are not saved is not by works. We are not saved by works. 
it is not a religion is not by religion of works god god denounces it works he denounces it god says not by works and what does works look like friends it might be like this i'll try my best you heard that i'll work with god i'll keep the commandments i'll go to church i'll give to the poor i'll do all i can i will be nice to my neighbor i will try to live a good life i will do no harm to others i will do my devotions i will do all of these things there are works now nothing wrong in doing your devotions and etc but if you are doing it for the sake of works in somehow to earn your way up to to heaven then you're on the wrong track dear friends because we might try to do the best we can but our best is not good enough god says not by works lest any man should boast not our works it is emphatic no ifs no buts it is clear why not our works because people might boast we we saw the kids talk this morning isn't it one enjoyed playing soccer but made it clear that she was a great player right had a dress my dress is better than yours i can juggle better than you you see boasting is very much part of our system and so we say oh i have contributed somehow to be saved and so i can boast about this this is not a works see martin luther the great reformer denounced working for salvation uh, in our recent trip to germany i said to rose could you please include wittenberg in the travel plans because i i wanted i wasn't i was wanted to see two special places one was calvin's church st pierre in geneva and i wanted to see where luther preached from apart from all other things i said these two are important for me right so i picked up i went to wittenberg and we saw the church where luther preached and we also went to the church where luther confronted pope leo on indulgences and we saw the door to which was nailed the 95 theses what was it all about friends luther knew that no amount of good works will make a person right with god you cannot buy salvation or work for it clear yes <laughs> it is grace alone right it is faith alone you know the two reform catchphrases right uh, we preach that on our evening services sola gratia grace alone sola fidei faith alone okay so it's not by works it's by god's grace so that no one can boast no one can boast brothers and sisters friends we don't earn our way to heaven did you get that If you are trying to earn your way to heaven forget it it's all been done for you it's grace if you repented of your sin and believed in Jesus as your savior then heaven is yours today god's grace changes and transforms people god's grace is displayed at the cross his son paid the penalty for our rebellion against it and so how then should we live how should we live in response to god's grace in our lives verse verses uh, look at verse 10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them you see friends 
Notice what is said there. We are his workmanship. One writer puts it this way. What does, what, what does Paul mean by workmanship? One writer puts it this way. We are his work of art. We are his masterpiece. Do you see yourself as a masterpiece of God? <laughs> you might stand in front of the mirror and look at yourself and say, oh, hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> right? I stand in front of the mirror and I say, what's happened to my hair? It's all gone. Right? You might look at yourself and think, hmm, if only I was... Whatever. You don't need to. Because you're a masterpiece of God. That, that, that's, what we, that, that's the word that has been used here. We, let me explain it this way, okay? We are two creations. Every human being is a masterpiece of God. God created us physically as his masterwork. Psalm 139. Every human being is precious. Okay? Every human being has value and dignity to life. We must respect human life. Because all are created in the image of God. So we value human life. We don't treat them like animals. We value dignity of life. Because life is precious. Made in the image of God. Having said this, the masterwork here has undergone, if you are a Christian, it has undergone a second creation. Let me explain it this way. He has recreated us spiritually. Why do I say that? Can we get the next slide please? On Corinth? Okay. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, has gone, the new is here. Do you see that? So that the Christian, so for the Christian, the masterwork has undergone a second creation in Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are a masterwork. We are the ultimate work. We are His ultimate workmanship. Now you and I are a work in progress. You know that, right? Uh, you know we fail. You know we sin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have not reached sinless perfection here as yet, right? We fall miserably. We fail miserably. We get up and go again in this Christian journey. We feel guilty sometimes about things that we should do and we haven't done and everything else happens in our life. It's so complex. Sometimes you wonder what's going on in your life. But know for sure, friends, don't put yourself down. Know that your self-esteem is tied up in Christ. That we are a new creation in Him, a masterpiece of the Lord God Almighty. And this means, Paul says also here in the text, isn't it? We are to be doing good works. This should lead us to respond to God's grace by doing good works. What are the good works that you and I can do? We can care for others. We can do practical care and support to those in need. Think about the lonely people in, in this church and perhaps you know in your neighborhood, in your friends, and your work, work colleagues. Think of how you can support the weak, the frail, the fragile. Those who are migrants to this country. You know, it's the hardest thing, I think, to leave your family and your friends and your country and come to a strange place. You know, I, I, I think and I thank God every time I think about this. And I've said this and I say it again. 
perhaps I won't be here today. I know God is sovereign and everything else. Perhaps I won't be here today if not for the care and love and support and encouragement that I received from strangers when I first came to this big, big country, Australia. It was hard. And there was care and support and encouragement that God used other people to do that. And so, friends, show care, show hospitality, be creative and think, Somebody might need a lift to church, for example. What can I do? Can I come and pick you up, for example? Can I open up my home for you? Can I do something practical for you? Can I make you a meal? Can I do something good in my neighborhood? Practical Christianity of good works. Christians throughout the ages have done good works in this world. Such as building orphanages, hospitals and the like. Good works are a sign that we are his workmanship. Is the fruit of salvation. They flow from our salvation. Good works follows from grace. We don't do good works to get to heaven. Let us not be self-absorbed. And I had no time to do good works which God has prepared for us beforehand. So friends, in summary this morning. Well, today we have seen the way we are saved, the way we are not saved, and the way we should live. We are saved not by works, we are saved by grace. Through faith in Christ, this is a gift. We are God's masterpiece to do good works as the fruit of salvation. In a moment, we will sing one of the well-known hymns of the Christian church, Amazing Grace, by John Newton. I have been reading a fascinating biography of the life of John Newton by Jonathan Aitken. I have two books, three books actually, next to my bed. One is on the sovereignty of God. The other one is on, on uh, John Newton's, but my dear wife has passed on, I mean passed on the reading section of that book more than what I have. She's, she's a fast reader. Anyway, the point is that this book speaks about the, the, the wonderful work of grace in John Newton's life. His mother was a godly lady who prayed for her son and, and sadly John Newton's mother died when he was a young boy and his father remarried and John was kind of left to himself. He was a troublemaker. He really was a lost man. But God did a great work of grace in his life and brought him to faith. And John Newton became the one who spoke against the African slave trade. And he became a preacher. He experienced amazing grace. And John Newton said this, you know, uh, this is what Newton wrote the following epitaph himself, which was to be the inscription on his tomb. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves, that the word libertine means basically is one who freely indulges in sensual pleasures without regard to moral principles, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and the next one please, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. How's that, eh? That he long, that he had long labored to destroy. What was the difference, friends? Was grace. In conclusion, when we start to think that we are forgiven of all our sins, not by virtue of our brain power or our goodness or our good works, but by something entirely outside ourselves, what can you and I say to this God this morning? What can you say to him?
And there's a song that goes, isn't it? How can I say thanks for all the things you have done for me? How can I say thanks for God's grace to you? That's a question I want to leave with you this morning. Maybe you've never experienced God's love. I trust that today may be the day when you'll experience His amazing grace. Friends, we are saved by grace, not works. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have saved us by grace and not works. We pray that your spirit will touch us this morning to experience that amazing grace. We were once lost, but now found. And help us, Lord, to be people of grace in our relationships, in our service for others, in our service for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.